Amen. I guess everybody can hear me okay? Good. All right. Uh, I would like to speak tonight about a, a parable that is probably at least somewhat familiar to, to you. Uh, we call it the parable of the sower. We find it in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. Uh, I'll be drawing a little bit from sometimes one, sometimes the other. But tonight we'll get started with Mark chapter 4. And uh, Mark chapter 4. We'll start with verse 2, and we'll read our text. Mark, Mark chapter 4 and verse 2. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground. And did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And let me pause here just a moment. That verse, if you take it all by itself, I know how it impresses me. It sounds as if God just doesn't want these people to get saved. But if we were, we're not taking the time tonight, but if you were to turn over to Matthew chapter 13 and, and read the parallel passage, you'd see, and, you, uh, the, and even comparing the Old Testament uh, quote here, that it's not that God doesn't want them to be saved, but they don't want to be saved. In Matthew, it tells us, they, their hearts have hardened, they, their eyes have darkened. And you put that together with what he says here, it's not just that, you know, someone has come and witnessed to them and, and you know, first time around they're, they're rejecting it. No, because here he said, lest at any time they should be converted. In other words, I believe this is a picture of people who have heard the gospel and have just downright steadfastly grit their teeth, set their jaw, made up their mind. I don't want anything to do with it lest at any time they should be converted. And so, 
Jesus teaches in parables so that those that have ears to hear, those that have a heart that's open to the truth of God, it's there for them to receive it. For those who don't have that heart, it's just a parable they can scratch their head over and go on their own merry way. And you know, there's a serious warning there, really, for all of us. But we'll get into that in a moment, Lord willing. Verse 13, we'll pick up there. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? And that's a good question right there, too. There's something about this parable, according to our Lord Jesus, that we'd better try to get a handle on. And if we don't, we're going to be left in the dark when it comes to all the other parables. So, uh, perhaps you and, and me both can get our appetite whetted a little bit to want to study this out, realizing just how important this is. Spend a little time, some time, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8. Try to ask God to give you understanding, just like the disciples you'll see in just a moment. Uh, or they already did. You know, uh, his disciples... Have you ever read your Bible and, and said... I don't understand that. Well, have you ever stopped and paused and asked God to give you understanding? Uh, but he goes on to explain the parable. What a, tra- what a precious privilege that our Lord should take the time to explain to us this parable. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. So that seed is the word of God. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some in hundred. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, you've brought us to this hour. And Father, we're thankful. Thank you for bringing us through the first three, four days of the, of the week, starting with the Lord's Day. And thank you for a little oasis in the middle of the week to come. And Father, you know there's nothing that I could possibly do to help anyone in this room, including my own self. But Lord, there's nothing too hard for thee. And you know, Father, the dry and barren and thirsty land through which we travel. And Lord, you're able to, uh, when we simply speak to the rock, uh, Christ Jesus, you're able to cause rivers of living water to flow forth and to quench our thirst. Lord, I hope no one here is looking to this missionary. I hope everyone here at this moment is looking unto thee. Father, would you cleanse our hearts from sin? Would you wash our feet? God, we've been walking through the world. Father, would you give us ears to hear? Father, would you help us just to settle in and perk up just enough to get something out of what's said tonight? 
And Father, God, may it come from you and not just from me. Bless and strengthen these people. Establish this church, Lord Jesus. Continue to keep your promise that you will build your church. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the testimony. We thank you for the precious and holy word of God. We thank you for your wonderful Holy Spirit who gives us the understanding. Now, Father, please do your work. Set me out of the way. Set me aside. And, Lord, please be glorified in our midst at this hour. Father, we will give you thanks and praise. We look forward to the day when we'll see our Savior face to face. Help us to be better equipped to meet him without shame, to meet him with glory and praise and strength. God, that there might be some sheaves. God, that we'd be able to bring with us in that grand and glorious day. Help us, Father, please, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I'll start with the sower. Something very simple. You don't need a Bible college education. The sower knew who he was. He knew what his job was. He knew what he was supposed to do. You know, a farmer, there's a lot of things that a farmer has to keep track of. I've never been a farmer. By the way, I I grew up on Long Island, not too far from here. I don't know anything about farming except a little bit I learned from my wife. Okay? But I do know this. There's an awful lot of different things that go into farming. But imagine if a farmer did all of those other things that need to be done, but he somehow never got around to putting the seed in the ground. Wouldn't that be kind of foolish? Wouldn't it be just a colossal waste of time? But that sower knew what was important. He knew what he was here for. And may the Lord help all of us, myself included, never to forget that really, ultimately, that's the only reason why we're here. It's to glorify Him in our lives. But then to be willing to shoulder the responsibility to help carry the burden in our own hearts that our Lord and Savior carried when He left heaven and came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. You say, preacher, I've heard this stuff over and over. You know, tell us something new. No, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to remind you and try to stir you up and try to stir myself up at the same time. We need to remember what Jesus came for. The Son of God, holiness, Became incarnate, became flesh, without sin, and yet, and yet took on the robe of a sinful man, as it were, but not, but not sinful. But what the law could not do, in that it was weak in the flesh, God sending His Son condemned sin in the flesh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He who is sinless became sin for us. The ugliness, the filthiness, the disgust that should make us want to puke. The secrets of our own hearts. He not only gathered all of that upon himself, but he became that that filthiness for us. Out of pity, out of love. And thank God someone was moved and motivated enough to go and and tell you. But now he wants us to go and do the same. Be a sower. And there's many, 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 many different ways to sow. How how many snowflakes have ever fell on the ground since 6,000 years ago God created all things? Only God knows. But the scientists tell us 
Hey, they could be wrong. They're wrong about a lot of things. But they tell us that no two snowflakes are alike. That's amazing. And no two people are really all alike. Don't try to be like somebody else. But be a sower. Be a sower. One way or another, be a sower. A sower needs to be prepared. And I don't mean prepare yourself, although that is a good thing to do. But number one, he has to be sought. In other words, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You were lost once. I was lost once. Jesus sought us. Now we're saved. You had to be sought. But then it's up to us to do some seeking. We need to seek the face of God. Psalm 27. uh, Lord, when thou saidst to me, uh, seek my face, my heart said to thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Familiar verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. He has sought us. Now it's time for us to seek him. There should be some seeking. He's put it in your heart to seek him. His Holy Spirit lives within you. Don't bury him. Don't quench him. Then there needs to be some seeing. Jeremiah 6.16 says, stand in the ways. Stand, just stand still long enough. Stand in the ways and see. Look around. See the, the condition of the world. Take a glance at yourself if need be. But then ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way? And walk therein and you'll find rest for your souls. Thank God. See. There needs to be some seeing. And then there needs to be some surrendering. Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord in his temple high and lifted up, and uh, holy, 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 the seraphims worship him. See the Lord, see him in his holiness, and then surrender. Uh, Who will go for us? And just a few verses later, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I, Lord, send me, a surrendering to his call. Then we find that that sower is going to have to endure some suffering. I don't have any, I could find some verses, I don't have them right now. You know, in the Bible, I don't think, I don't think you'll find from Genesis to Revelation, one man or woman used by God that did not have to go through some suffering at some time in his or her life. So don't be surprised. Don't let it, you know, knock you out of the saddle. Paul said, uh, that I may know him and, and the fellowship of his sufferings. In another place, in essence, Paul said, I don't have the words, but in effect he said, I rejoice in the sufferings, bring it on, because I know it's going to cause me to lean harder on my Lord and draw me closer to God. Don't be afraid of suffering. An old, old man, uh, once who was, uh, he had beat cancer by natural means, and he became a counselor to people. To do the same, and I happened to be in a little meeting with him, and somebody said, he was talking about just a lot of different things in general, and, and somebody said, uh, Mr. Hale, what, what about stress? And, and you, you, know, you, you don't have to listen very, very long to get, you know, to understand stress is a big problem nowadays for a lot of people. He said, what about stress? He said, I thrive on it. <laughs> Here's an old man in his 80s, he's still crawling around under automobiles, you know, fixing cars and stuff, and in good health. I thrive on it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when trials come, when things get rough. Hey, if sailors ran, every time they ran into a storm, if they said, you know, oh, 
off. Whoa, what are we going to do? You know, they wouldn't be a sailor very long, would they? Just, you know, grit your teeth and dig in and do what you have to do and trust God. And then, sometimes our Savior has to weaken us to prepare us to be a sower. Psalm 102, verse 23 says, He weakened my strength in the way. Why does He do that? So that He can strengthen us. Paul said, in my weakness, His his strength is made perfect. And then He sustains us. In Isaiah 30, in verse 15, He said, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be thy strength. God will sustain us. And then God will be satisfied to use us. So, there's preparation that needs to be done for this sower. Now let's look at the seed. I want to point out, first of all, and I'm I'm one who who believes, and I didn't when I first got saved. I didn't understand this. Somebody helped me out, a preacher, an older preacher, pointed it out to me. Boy, did my heart sing. I'm not kidding. Oh, there was a... I I won't say like an instantaneous burden lifted. It wasn't that kind of a thing. But I'll tell you what. The thing that stabilized me more than anything else as a Christian was when I just got yoked up with the King James Bible. Up until then, always in the back of my mind, I was wondering, you know, is it really true? I didn't grow up with the Bible, didn't know anything about it. Picked up an RSV, first Bible I ever bought in a used bookstore. Read the introduction, sounded impressive, sounded good. Enjoyed reading because I was a new baby Christian and I was curious. I wanted to learn the Word of God. Got through that passage about uh, uh, a story even I had heard of. You know, here's the woman taking adultery. The law says, Stoner, what do you say? He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. I read that and I said, Man, I, I, I've heard that one before. That's really exciting. You know, but I'm the kind of person, not about you, but when I see a little footnote, I want to read the footnote. It's just the way I am. My eyes drop down to the bottom of the page. This wasn't found in the most reliable and the most ancient text. And I said to myself, what? What? I had friends attending my church who were honestly studying Greek and Hebrew because they earnestly wanted to know the will of God for their lives. And they felt like the only way to really be sure was to go and become some kind of Greek or Hebrew scholar. And that preacher helped me so much. He said, Pat, just accept it by faith. Stabilized me. We're talking about the seed that's being sown. It's perfectly prepared. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, uh, uh, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, perfectly produced. 2 Peter 1.21 Uh, holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost as uh, they they spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, This is not the the, the production of a man. Anybody who says that this is just the work of a man is an idiot. Not only that, he's a lazy idiot because he's never bothered to read enough of it to make up, to think for himself. And anybody that honestly has has come to the conclusion that there's got to be something more than just the work of ordinary men. Now, I'm not going to take any more time. I hope you've heard. And you know, how many, 40 authors over a span of how many, a thousand years or 12, I don't remember how many. I mean, man, this country's been around for, you know, 250, round figures, 250 years. 
But this word, this, this Bible, I mean, covenant was written over a span of way over a thousand years. And it just dovetails like, whoa! And people are so proud and so ignorant as to say, ah, that can't be the Word of God. Perfectly prepared, perfectly produced, perfectly preserved. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As, uh, See, missionaries pull blanks too, especially over 50 and over 60. (laughs) Pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It's either preserved or it's not. And Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle is going to drop away, fall away. That means not one tiny, eeny little bit. All it, so, if you've got two, the same, you've probably heard it many times before, two things that are different are not the same. Hello? <laughs> you know, that's deep theology. But isn't that how we are? We get, and the devil will get you tangled up in theological, and, and, and we miss the most obvious things. Did he preserve it or not? Did he preserve every jot, every tittle or not? It's perfect. Thank God for it. Don't take it for granted because there are millions, I guess I could safely say billions of people in the world today who don't have what you and I have. In Malawi, they've got Bibles in Chichewa, but they're all translated from the corrupted texts. I, I, I found that out when I went to pre- teach and preach about baptism. Got to Acts chapter 8 and verse 37. You ever notice in these new versions... You know how all, you know, in in my Bible, I've got the numbers to the verses right down the left-hand margin, right? Ever notice in the new versions how they don't do that? They they put the numbers real small, and they're just scattered throughout. It's sort of more like a narrative. You know, that's so that you can read it more easily. And those those nasty little numbers don't distract you. Isn't that why? No, I don't think so. Because when I got to Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, one of the most important verses in the entire Bible, especially when you're trying to teach people that baptism comes after believing, after being saved, not in order to be saved. In their little Mickey Mouse Bible, God help them. We come to verse 37 and it's not there. They even took out the tiny little number. So I pointed it out to him. I said, I went to school. I learned how to count. Count with me now. 35, 36, 38, 39, 40. And then you're at the end of the chapter. And they said, and they looked at their Bibles and they said, it's not there. That's the devil's work. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Take it out. Now, if you found something wrong with something, somebody asked you to do some proofreading, okay, and let's just say the sentences were numbered, and and so you went through there and you found something that just, it was was so bad, you said, we we just got to knock this out, okay, just just eliminate the whole thing. Tell me something. Would you go 34, 35, 36, and then skip 37, and go 38, 39, 40? If, if those <laughs> revisers, those critics, had any integrity at all, they would have renumbered the last three verses of that chapter. 
You know why they didn't? Because more people would have noticed that they'd meddled with it. It's easier to notice that this chapter only has 39 verses rather than 40 than to realize that 37 has been skipped over. Enough of that. It's a, it's a powerful word. Perfectly preserved. Things. I'll tell you what, folks. Um, I, may pro- I probably tonight will not get to the different kinds of soil. But let me just pause for a moment. Let's go to, okay, we're at Mark chapter 4. I want to look at verses 11 and 13. I'll read them to you. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things are done in parables. All right, we we talked about that already. But verse 13, well, we already talked about verse 13. Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Let's jump over to Luke chapter 8. I'll just read it to you in verse 18. And this is for us. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. I think God gives us all opportunities. But those opportunities don't necessarily last forever. Uh, He may take some opportunities away from you. Take heed to what you hear. I know there's other things we can apply that to, but I'm not going to go any further. I'm going to jump back to Matthew chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. For verily I say unto you, now let's listen to this, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. You know what he's saying here, folks? He's saying that Job and Moses, Job, uh, Noah, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, uh, Joshua, all the prophets, they knew that God was using them. And a lot, I think, I honestly, I, I believe with all my heart, they understood We've numbered it now, Genesis 3.15. God was promising to send a Savior. They knew someone was coming. Jeremiah was willing to go into the dungeon. Moses had his authority challenged. And with his brother, they just fell flat on their faces and cried out to God. And they were vindicated. They were suffering and trouble that God's prophets endured. And Paul tells us in Romans, they wanted to know. And the Spirit of Christ, which was in them testifying of all these things that they were prophesying about, they were wanting to... Yeah, they must have... They spent time on their knees crying out to God, Lord, when are these things going to be? Tell us more about these things. God said, it's not for you to know. And then it says, it was for us that those things were written. For us. And the things that were written aforetime were for our learning and for our admonition that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope why do we need hope? Because it's a, it's a stinking, hard, difficult, filthy, it's a bad world that we live in. And we need hope. 
And we're not going to find it anywhere except within the first and, and last pages of this, of this book. Thank God for any political candidate that offers hope, real hope. But you and I wouldn't even have the common sense to recognize it if we weren't anchored in this book. And that's why so many people in America don't recognize what's right and wrong and can no longer understand the difference between their left hand and their right. Because they've divorced themselves from the living God who gives them breath to breathe, air to breathe, and keeps their heart beating day by day. In whose hand their lives are. And they've forsaken Him and hardened their hearts against Him. And so He's just taken away any bit of common sense. Anything good about the United States of America is good because it was rooted and grounded in this book. And the incredible thing is, after the 250 years, it's still the very same book. And it's up to you. And it's up to me. It's at the open door, Bible Baptist Church. You have got a responsibility. Winchester Baptist Church. Winchester Any Bible-believing church, we've got a responsibility to hold fast to what He has given to us. Because to whom much is given, much is required. How do we do that? First place is to drop to our knees. Just admit it, Lord... Somebody, a friend of mine years ago said, I'm just a, I'm just a dirt bag. I'm just a dirt ball. <laughs> Lord, you know, the Apostle Paul said that, you know, in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. <laughs> Have you come to that place where you've seen yourself that way? That's the truth. He already knows our hearts. Hebrews 4.12, not, well, not 4.12, that's the Word of God, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He sees us all. Lord, help us to get down on our knees and just, just talk to Him. You know what? You know how God wants to be treated? Just like a person. Just pretend that God's a person. Because guess what? He is. He's the one who gave you feelings. He must have feelings. Can your feelings be hurt? Well, then I suppose he can too. No, he's not going to be blown out of the water like you or me if somebody offends us. But he's still got those feelings. You like being ignored? Neither does he. Seek his face. Let him bless you. Let him use you. Be a sower. Thank you, preacher.